Well, good morning, Mr. Banks. Hey, Bubba, what's up? Well, we got those burnt wires replaced. We're going to give her a try this morning. Great. Well, here goes nothing. Oh, nothing. nothing. They were working. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. What is all the ruckus, Bubba? Oh, Miss Hightower, I can't get these silly lights to work. I've plump tried everything. Well, maybe there's a bulb loose up in here somewhere. Maybe. You think? What was that? What was what? That squeaking. Squeaking? Yeah. There it is again, Miss Hightower. Now This I... here tree squeaking! Oh, Baba, I would not be sticking my head up into those branches. You know, there's just no telling what might be building a nest up in there. I see it, Miss Hightower. It's just a baby squirrel. I'll get him. A squirrel. Baba? Come down from there. Baba? Come down! You need to Ow! be careful. Let go! You need to be careful. Ow! Give me my hat back! Baba! Ow! Oh! Oh! Baba? That squirrel was a little bigger than I thought. Oh, Baba. Goodness. I'll see you. Bye. The post office is closed. You don't think I know that's ridiculous? Quit harping about deadlines. I made the deadlines. Okay, look, I'm leaving today. You'll have your story hand-delivered tomorrow. Good morning, Henry. I don't want to talk to you, Rosie. Well, how's come? You're just too cheerful for my taste. <sighs> Excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, you're that newspaper guy, Mr. Collins, right? Yeah, how did you... Miss Hightower told me. She did, did she? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm helping Mr. Banks with his manger scene. Can't figure out where to put the wise men, though. I guess he's the most important part anyways. What, the baby? Baby Jesus. He's what Christmas is all about. Yeah, that's what people say. Jason, there you are. Hi, Mom. Good morning, Henry. Evie. So, have you been having fun helping Mr. Banks? Yep. He told me about all of them, Mom. All of them? That's Mary. She was cool. She was? Yeah. When she was pregnant with Jesus, she got called all sorts of bad names. But she went ahead and had Jesus because that's what God told her to do. And that's Joseph. He didn't have to be Jesus' dad, but he decided to anyways, because God told him to. 
I bet Joseph was a good dad. I'm sure he was. Now, why don't you go get your stuff? Your Aunt Abby is expecting us back real soon. Okay, see you in a little bit, Mom. Nice to meet you, Mr. Collins. So, Henry, how's the Cascade Falls story coming? Well, writing it is no big deal, but getting it back to my office has turned into a fiasco. First, I find out there's no internet here. Now the post office is closed. Who ever heard of a post office being closed the week before Christmas? Tell me about it. I have been waiting for that post office to open so I could get some of those famous snow globes. Well, it's too late to even mail them out now, so I've given up on that idea. I've given up on a lot of things lately. Now, that doesn't sound like the Evie I grew up with. Well, life just has a a way of changing things, Henry. Things that I thought I could count on. So, is that why you and Jason came here alone? There's really nothing to discuss. So what is it? Your husband loves his job more than you? We just needed a break from each other, from from everything. He's a good man. He's a disappointment. And I suppose your life is everything you wanted it to be, Henry. Well, nobody's life is perfect. And nobody's marriage is perfect either. At least I keep telling myself that. I thought I could hold it all together. I thought I could make it all right. I've always made everything right for me. But I just don't think I have what it takes anymore. I just wanted to get away. I thought making it big would make me happy. I thought money and influence was what life was all about. I never thought I would see myself in this position. Evie Moore, confident, fearless, alone. Happiness is just always right around the corner. One more book, a little more notoriety. Work harder than anyone else. He's going to leave me. I just know it. This marriage has been over. It's been over for for six months. Neither one of us has just ever wanted to admit it. To everyone who's lost someone they love, Long before it was their time You feel like the days you had were not enough When you said goodbye And to all of the people with burdens and pains Keeping you back from your life You believe that there's nothing And there is no one who can make it right There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary 
You know, Mr. Banks told me about Jesus, too. What did he tell you? He said that he's not a baby anymore. He's someone we can talk to. He died on the cross for us because we needed him. 
Okay, this whole thing is crazy, Evie. No one knows what I need. Henry, where are you going? I'm leaving. Going back to Denver. I don't need this. I don't need Cascade Falls. And I don't need him. Mr. Collins. Jason. Yeah, Mom. Is Jesus your friend? Yep, I asked him to be. Is he yours, Mom? But I'd like him to be. I heard about Jesus a long time ago. I just forgot. He hasn't forgotten you, Mom. Something happened recently over in Ethiopia that's kind of puzzling the experts. I should tell you, it starts off with a really bad situation. There are people over in Ethiopia, men, that go looking for brides, and they do it in a very bad way. They get together in groups, and they go hunting for a young girl. They'll find a girl that they think would be a suitable bride. They'll kidnap her, beat her into submission and brutalities that I wouldn't even begin to talk about in this room. And that was going on. There were a group of men who, who found a 12-year-old girl. They were beating her, and they were getting ready to abuse her to get her to be a bride for one of the men. She was crying out for help, but there were no human voices that could hear her. But she was heard. Back in the brush, there were three Ethiopian lions, the symbol of Ethiopia, famous for their black manes. And when they heard this little girl's cry, they came bounding out of the brush and attacked the three men who were getting ready to abuse this little girl. And, of course, the men decided that they need to get out real quick. And they ran for their lives. And at that moment, the little girl thought that she had traded one problem for another problem because she was sure that the lions had come out to eat her, but instead of harming her, they did something very peculiar. They formed a perimeter around her and would allow nothing bad to happen to her. For three days, they guarded her. It's a very unusual story. The police sergeant who came three days later with his men said that when they got to the site that the lions appeared to be waiting for them, and they turned and walked away and basically released the little girl, gave, them to, gave her to the policeman almost as a gift. And the policeman said it was the most amazing thing. They'd never seen anything like that happen before, and it, it's baffled wildlife experts. The best guess is why those lions would behave in such a fashion is that when the little girl cried, it sounded like, mimicked the sound of a young cub crying out for help. But in any event, it happened like that. And the police sergeant, as I said, who came to rescue the little girl said, we just call it a miracle. It's interesting to me as I think about that story that one of the names in the Bible for Jesus is the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
Some of you have seen the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the movie that's out right now. And you know that in C.S. Lewis' great novel, Aslan, the lion is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing to consider our Lord as a lion because a lion is very powerful and our Lord is very powerful. In fact, there is nobody more powerful than our Lord. And he has an awesome way of always showing up in our lives when we need him. This morning, I want to talk to you about finding help in a troubled world. And I want to talk to you about Jesus, our Lord, how that he always shows up. If you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, I'd like to just read you a little story from the life of Jesus that you probably know very well already, but let me just read it to you, beginning in verse 23. The Bible says, Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Well, it was just another routine day of miracles, Jesus doing the supernatural, only what he could do. At the end of the day, he told the disciples to get in the boat and go across the other side. He said, I'm going to go pray by myself for a while, get alone. The disciples were out there on the sea late at night. And somewhere in the middle of the morning, a storm came up. A powerful wind began to batter the boat, and the waves were lapping into the boat. The disciples were scared to death, and they thought that they were going to sink. And just at that moment, the Bible says Jesus came to them walking on the water. You know the rest of the story how that Jesus stopped their storm and took care of them. But for all of us here today, I'd like to look at two lines from this story that speak to my heart, and I hope they speak to yours today. The first line is in verse 24, where the Bible says the disciples were in trouble. Now, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. My guess is that here today on this snowy, cold December day where it's a little treacherous to get around, my guess is that most of you who are in here today have decided at some point in your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you find it interesting, as I do, that the Bible says that his followers were in trouble? I think sometimes we have the idea that following Jesus means you don't have any trouble. And if we have trouble in our lives, the first inclination that we have is to ask, where is Jesus? But right here in the Bible, it's very clear. His followers were in trouble. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to be in trouble sometimes. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you, but you're going to have some trouble. In fact, everybody has trouble. Nobody has a trouble-free life. You could be a follower of Jesus Christ and have your marriage fall apart. You could be a follower of Jesus Christ and have one of your kids disappoint you. You can be a follower of Jesus and lose your job. You can be a follower of Jesus and go to the doctor and hear the word cancer. You can be a follower of Jesus and have all kinds of trouble. That's just the way life is. So just remember, if you're in trouble today, and you say, well, Mark, you're talking to me. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm in trouble. Well, hey, it happens. It happens to all of us. Things go wrong. Jobs are lost. Money we counted on isn't there. People say bad things about you. You don't have any control of, assassinate your character. Those things happen. These disciples were in trouble. 
Well, that's the first line that stands out to me. But the second line is in verse 27. When Jesus showed up, he said, it's all right. I'm here. It's okay to be in trouble if Jesus shows up. You can afford to be in trouble if he's there. If he shows up, it's all right to be in trouble because whenever he shows up, he always brings with him what it is that you need for that moment. He will never show up and not bring what you need. My purpose today for the next few moments is to show that he has a history of always showing up. Whenever you talk about Jesus, remember this, he always shows up. Have you ever been left alone? Some of you have. Some of your life partner walked out. Some of you, you thought somebody was going to be there, a business partner you thought was going to be there for you throughout your career, but that person, that man, that woman just wasn't there for you. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He's always there for you. He always shows up. He's got a history of that. I'm going to use a word now that you probably didn't use 10 times last week. I learned it in theology school, and I try to not use a whole lot of things that I learned in theology school. For one thing, I've probably forgotten most of them. People are always saying to me, Mark, we love your preaching because you make it simple. What you don't know is that I really am simple. I don't have any other choice. <laughs> There's a word called Christophany. Man, I know more about Chris Christofferson than I know about Christophanies, but let me just tell you what I know about a Christophany. A Christophany, by theological definition, is a pre-incarnate manifestation or a, a manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. Now, you do understand that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that wasn't his beginning. That wasn't when he came into existence. Jesus is God. He is the eternal Son of God. Long before there ever was a planet Earth, there was the Son of God. When God created the world, he said, let us make man in our image. He was speaking to the other members of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. John tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel that everything was made by him. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says all things are held together by him. I don't know this for a fact, but I do know this. When Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake immediately after that. I've always wondered, was that the moment when he surrendered it back to the Father? Our Lord is a powerful king. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. That's just when he came into our world. That was the incarnation. The word C-A-R-N means flesh, in flesh. That's when Jesus came to our world, born of a virgin Mary. He was here a long time before. And it does appear that there were moments when his followers in the Old Testament were in trouble, and he showed up. We call those Christophanies. Let me tell you about a couple, my personal favorites. First one I want to tell you about happened with a guy who was a new leader. His name was Joshua, and he didn't inherit much of a job, did he? All he had to do was lead three and a half million people. And just think about that for a moment. Imagine that you turned around and looked behind you and there were three and a half million people. I'm not even sure we have that many in the state of Kansas. 
And these people were following him, and Joshua was their leader. And it came down to making sure they had food and water and justice and help. But beyond that, he was trying to get them from the wilderness to Canaan, the place that God had promised them. And Moses, the great leader that God had supernaturally provided for the Israelites, supernaturally gifted him to lead. Moses, just as they got on the brink of Canaan, up and died on Joshua. After leading them through the Red Sea and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God said, Moses, time to go home. Called him up on top of Mount Nebo, kissed him to sleep. God buried him, and now, Joshua, you're the new guy. You're the man. You're the new leader. Now, I know what it's like to be a new leader on several occasions, and you sort of hope that the things that are on your plate are sort of small things so that you can rise to the occasion in incremental, incremental steps. All Joshua has to do is to take those three and a half million people, take them past the most powerful city in Canaan, Jericho, and win the fight. The people of Jericho, they're not worried about him being invaded because they have this massive wall around the city. And Joshua's trying to figure out how in the world is he going to get the Israelites past Jericho. He's never done anything like this before. He's got a whole group of people that are inexperienced when it comes to battle. And I think one night he goes out to do a little reconnaissance on his own. And he's thinking to himself, how am I going to fit the battle of Jericho? When all of a sudden, he showed up. He has a visitor. Standing before Joshua is this soldier that I think looks like Jesus appears in Revelation chapter 1 because this soldier show, shows up in shining armor with the sword drawn and Joshua immediately asks him a question. He says, are you for our enemies or are you for us? Pastor Tony Evans says, and I love to hear him say this, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to take sides, he's coming back to take charge. Joshua says, are you for us? Are you for our enemy? In effect, he's saying, if you're for our enemy, we're just chopped liver. We're dead. <laughs> and this person, this manifestation, God appearing, Jesus appearing before his birth, says to Joshua, I'm not for you. I'm not for your enemies. I am here as captain of the Lord's army. If you got a hold of Joshua's business cards before that moment, it would have printed, been printed something like this. Joshua, captain of the Lord's army. But at this moment, this one who visited, this one who showed up said to Joshua, Joshua, you're not the captain of the Lord's army. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. How many of you here today are perfectly content with him being captain of your life? And I think it was at that moment that the captain of the Lord's army met with Joshua and said, now listen, I've got a little plan for how you're going to take Jericho. You're going to march around it seven times, and on the seventh day you're going to march around it seven times, and you're going to blow, going to blow trumpets, and it's okay, I'm here, I'm going to take care of the rest of it. That's what he does. He always shows up. When you're in trouble, he shows up and says, it's all right, I'm here. It's okay, Joshua. I'm here. Oh, my second Christophany that I love. There were three guys, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were carried away into captivity by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. 
Babylonians were fairly merciful as captors go. They tried to take the best and the brightest young people into their Chaldean culture, and they tried to teach them their ways, their religion, their thoughts, their, their ways of doing business. And they thought by doing that they could bring in the, the nations that they had captured and do it in a sort of benevolent way. And on one of their raids, they picked up these three boys, these three Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those weren't their real names. Their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. If you look at the meanings of all three of those names in Jewish culture, their names mean God's favor, the one who, who trusts God, and God is good. But when they got to Babylon, those the Babylonian leaders said, that's not going to do. we got to get you new names. And so they gave them the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of those names were about pagan gods. You know, you can't always, you can't always change what people say about you. Do you realize that? Those boys, they couldn't protest and say, don't call us Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They couldn't do that. They had no control over what people said about them, just like you and I don't have any control about what people say about us. One day the king built a statue 90 feet tall, and he said, everybody's got to bow down to the statue. We sing almost persuaded, and a few people come, King of Babylon saying almost cremated and expecting them all to come. And he said, if you don't bow, you're going to burn in a furnace. We're going to burn you up. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had no control over what they called them, but they could have control over who they are. And remember that. You can't control what people say about you, but you can control who you are and what your character is. And you remember from our sermon on the Ten Commandments how that the second commandment is there, that we're not to have any graven images. And these boys have been trained that way. And in fact, they were saying, we can't bow down to your statue because we already have a God and we can't bow down to your statue. You can call us names if you want to. You can, tell, you can say about us what you want to say, but we're not going to bow down and worship your statue. And the king said, boys... Y'all are probably kind of slow because you don't know how things are done over here. You have to go along to get along. And so we're, we just want you to understand, I mean, all you have to do is bow. In effect, he was saying, listen, you don't necessarily have to embrace our gods or anything, but you do have to bow. You have to culturally do this because this is what's expected. And we understand that you just don't know how things are done here. And about that time, one of the men said, Sir, <laughs> you don't understand how we do things where we come from. We just want you to know how things are. Sir, we want you to understand we're not going to bow down. You can do with us whatever you want to do. We, we, believe our, <laughs> we believe he'll show up. But if he doesn't show up, we just want you to understand that the way we do things, we're not going to bow to your statue, and nothing you can threaten, with, threaten us with is going to make us bow. Well, that really got the king excited. And he issued an order that the furnace was to be heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. Now, how do you heat something seven times as hot? I don't know if there was a thermostat or whatever on there, but he did. They heated up the furnace so hot, the Bible records, listen, the Bible records that the servants of the king who threw these three men into the fire were disintegrated by the heat. That's a hot furnace. 
The king and his people were watching from the amphitheater above. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hit the fire, and something very peculiar happened. The first thing that happened was the ropes that held them were burned. You know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are always going to be people who put ropes on you. That could happen right here in this church. I hope it doesn't, but you know what? There are always people who will put ropes on you. But when you follow Jesus, even if you go into the fire, those ropes will burn. And that's what happened. They got into the fire. And then Scripture says, and I think think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think they kind of had some style or some panache to them because the Bible says they began to walk around. They didn't just stand there in the fire. They began to walk around. I think they may have held out their hands to get warm, you know, by the fire. And about that time, the king looked down and said, How many men did we put in this fire? I I thought we put three men in there, but I I see. I see four. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. See, he always shows up. If you're in a storm, he'll show up. If you're perplexed and you don't know what to do, he'll show up. If you're threatened and bad-mouthed by somebody and you're in trouble, he'll show up. That's what we're celebrating. Why do you think there are lights all over the city? Why do we all have trees in our house? Why, Why do we buy gifts? You do realize that the gifts that we buy during this time of the year carries the football retail wise for about 50 to 70 percent of a lot of retailers here. Why do we do those things? Because 2,000 years ago, when the world was in its greatest trouble, in a tiny little town, an insignificant town called Bethlehem, at a busy, crazy time, he showed up. He showed up. And he lived that perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he lay on a Roman cross 33 years later, and they nailed him there, and he hung between heaven and earth for six hours to give his life as a ransom for our sin. And they put him in a grave, and three days later on Sunday morning, he showed up again. And I got news for you. He's going to show up again. It could happen any day, maybe today, but there's some day coming when the trumpet's going to sound and he's going to show. He always shows up. That's what this series is about. And he shows up in your life. When I talk about Jesus coming, yes, I mean he's coming back, but I want you to know that when you're in trouble and you're crying out like that little Ethiopian girl, he'll show up. The line of the tribe of Judah will show up. You say, Mark, you don't understand. It's too late for him to show up. If he'd have come by when I was young, when I was a kid, if he'd have come by before I got married, or if he'd have shown up a few weeks ago, a few months ago, he could have helped me, but things are just too bad now, and it's too late for him to show up. Well, Jesus had some friends one time who thought he was too late. Their names were Mary and Martha, and we talked about them in the first sermon in Cascade Falls. Their brother Lazarus got sick. 
And they fired off a message to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, your friend is getting real bad. You need to come and heal him. And they were just sure he'd show up. But for reasons known only to the Lord, he waited where he was four days. And in those four days, Lazarus died. And Mary and Martha, they had to take his grave out to the cemetery, take his body out to the cemetery. And they came home from the graveyard. And when they walked in the door, they said to each other, he didn't show up. He's too late. But there's something really wonderful about this Jesus. Because even when you think he's not there, that he didn't come, he's a special kind of Savior. I want you to hear this. The news came to Jesus. Please come fast. Lazarus is sick without your help. He will not last. Mary and Martha watched their brother die. They waited for Jesus. He did not come. They wondered why. The death watch was over. He'd been buried four days. Somebody said, he'll soon be here. The Lord's on his way. Martha ran to him, and then she cried. If you had been here, you could have healed him, and he'd still be alive. But you're four days late, and all hope is gone. Lord, we don't. ways are God's ways, not yours or mine. And isn't it great when he's four days late, he's still on time. Jesus said, Martha, show me the grave. But she said, Lord, you don't understand. He's been there four days. The gravestone was rolled back. Then Jesus cried. Lazarus, come forth. Then somebody said, he's alive. He's alive. not appeared friend don't be discouraged cause he's still 
Four days late, he's still on time. 